Good morning, everyone. Hey, we got a lot of kids here this morning. Thank you so much, kids, for bringing your moms and your dads and your grandparents to church. So awesome to know that all of you can drive. It's so cool. Can we get a can we get a woohoo from all the little kids? Okay. Adults, do you want to help them out a little bit? Hey, there we go. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Whether you're here live or you're tuning in live or you're watching this later on because you were doing something else and you just got to it later on in the week, we're just so glad that you're a part of our extended family here at Centennial Road Church. My name's Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are starting a brand new series this week entitled Bears, Bees, Bald Guys, and Barbecues. A life worth living. So it's going to be a lot of fun. If I told you this, your life speaks, what comes to mind? Your life speaks. I remember being a 10-year-old young little boy and my parents were hosting a backyard barbecue shindig for all the young adults in our community. It was awesome. Everybody showed up, all the cool kids, especially this one guy I really looked up to. His name was Dale Anaka. There was a lot of these kids. They were having a lot of fun. We had a trampoline, a large green space in the backyard, a volleyball net set up. We had a big garden. We had barbecue going. It was brilliant and awesome, and I wanted desperately to participate. But I was a 10-year-old kid, and they didn't see a 10-year-old kid. They just were looking at each other. I don't know if you've ever hung out with a group of young adults before, men and women together. I mean, they're, they're in a different playing field. They're looking for a potential life partner in that mode, and they're not looking for young little 10-year-olds to play with, except that Dale and Naka noticed me. Dale noticed me, and he saw that I was on the sideline trying to participate in some ways, start conversations, play games, and he organized an entire huge, massive soccer game around me. And guess what? He picked me to be on his team. And Dale was an amazing player. He was an amazing player, a soccer player. And every time he touched the ball, he passed the ball to me. I scored like 47 goals that day. It was my best ever game playing soccer. And that stood out to me. And some 30 years later, I'm still drawn back to that moment and that memory. Because in that moment, the way Dale was choosing to live his life spoke to me. He was the coolest of the cool kids. He played electric guitar. He had leather jackets and jean jackets. He even sported a mullet. I looked up to him in so many ways except for the hair stuff. He was an amazing person and his life spoke. You and I, our lives speak. Whether we know it or not, they speak. They influence the people around us positively or negatively. So at the end of the day, when there's so much that we could give our lives to, what is it that makes a life worth living? As I mentioned earlier, we're starting this brand new six-week series. We're going to be looking at the life of a man named Elisha. Elisha from the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you right now, even if you're online, to pick that up on your phone or your live paper Bible, whatever you've got, and flip with me to 1 Kings. Now that's in the, in the first chunk of Scripture we call the Old Testament. And if you need to use the table of contents, it is completely okay. I have mine bookmarked, so I'm cheating this morning, and I can get there really, really quickly. But 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to start. And we're going to start in verse 19. Because like all great stories, 
You need to start at the beginning to understand what's going on. Verse 19 reads like this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go kiss my, my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done for you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Interesting beginning to a story. First of all, let's figure out who this guy Elijah is. He shows up on the scene, finds Elisha, and he says, Come follow me, essentially. And Elisha's like, I will do so. Well, who is Elijah? Elijah just so happens to be the most famous prophet for the nation of Israel at this point in time. Well, what's a prophet, you might ask? Well, a prophet was God's representative to the people. Kind of like how elected officials are supposed to represent the people, not their own self-interests. Elisha and Elijah, in particular, were set apart by God to be their representatives, his representatives here on earth. See, what's different from this time period that we read about and our time period today is God was much more selective in where he poured out his presence to his people. He didn't pour it out in abundance. In fact, he was much more, much more specific in who he wanted to allow to experience him on a deep level. And this group of people that he would speak to were called the prophets. And Elijah, as I said, was the most famous because he stood up against the tyranny of, that was oppressing their whole people and community of that day. He stood up against it, a king and the king's wife and a whole bunch of people that said he was wrong. And he stood for what God believed in that moment, this big epic Standoff. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18 if you want to later this evening or throughout this next week. It's a fascinating story. All that to say, Elijah, people would have been talking about him. When somebody's famous, you talk about them. When somebody famous does something extraordinary, you talk about it. When somebody is famous and they do something less than extraordinary, they do something that maybe we shouldn't do, you talk about it. Elijah word about him would have traveled to all the different regions of Israel and the different people groups. And so Elisha would have known about this guy named Elijah, would have known what he looked like, what he, what he was all about, how he operated. What's really interesting to me is where this conversation took place. Elisha was found in a field. He was farming in a field, working the plow. I grew up in a small farming community, and I understand the value of the hard work that goes into farming. In fact, what's interesting about this farming operation, so to speak, is it was significant in size. There were 12 teams of oxen working to plow the field. And you might be thinking, well, what does a pair of oxen look like? Well, in a few moments, you're going to see on screen a picture of what we're talking about there. 
Now, a pair of oxen was used instead of like a cultivator or a combine or anything like that. They were the workhorses, pun intended, for the farming community. In order to have a great farming operation, you needed these teams to work together to help you till the soil, cultivate, get it ready for planting. Your best asset outside of the land was these animals. And they're pretty significant in size. And depending on how old they were, would be the representative in the size of their horns. What's interesting to me is not only where this took place, but the detail in which the scripture tells us about this farming operation. Naming Elisha as somebody that's working with the 12th pair of oxen. 12th pair. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, it's kind of like you've got your go-to wardrobe, outfit number one, I look good everywhere I go in it. Outfit number two, I look slightly less good. And then you got outfit number 12, you're like, well, I got nothing else to wear, so this is it. You have a depth chart, a ranking chart. In the same way, these oxen were ranked in their usefulness. Your top pair was your top pair. Then your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth. They were ranked in order. Interestingly, the scripture tells us that Elisha is working with the bottom pair. Maybe they were the least experienced. Maybe they were the most frustrating to deal with. Maybe they were the afterthought. Maybe they were the brand new pair. We don't know any of that. But what the scripture tells us is that that's the pair that he was looking and working with. What that tells us, though, is about Elisha's place in this whole farming community, industry, family business, so to speak. He was considered good enough to work with the last pair. I don't know if you've ever been in a job before and you feel stuck. You're like, man, I don't want to do this, but I have to get it done because i got to provide for my family and make sure that I can pay my bills and have something at the end of the day to save so that maybe, maybe we can find something else that we can do in the future. If you've ever been stuck in one of those moments or those seasons where you're doing something that you really don't want to be doing, but you find yourself doing it anyway because you have to, you've got this interesting inner dialogue that's happening internally in your head and in your heart. I remember actually putting myself through college, working at a factory. I worked with Pepsi Bottling Company in their factory. It sounds thrilling that, oh, you could, every time you're thirsty, you could just grab something off the line and take a drink. Not, in, not exactly. Day in, day out, it was the exact same thing that I was doing. More of the same, more of the same. A lot of routine and mundane, and I was so thankful for that job because it gave me what I needed to save up for the education that I was pursuing. But right in the middle of it, it was hard going. And my inner dialogue was very different than what it is today. My inner dialogue was like, oh Lord, would today be the day that you rescue me from this moment? Is there some way I could get paid without having to go to work today? All these creative things started filtering in my brain and I found myself actually using more and more of my day to talk to God, ask him questions, listen and respond. And so I can't help but think 
as I put myself in the shoes of Elisha, that maybe, maybe he was just doing a very similar thing. More eloquently, of course, O Lord, how long must I toil working the soil? When will my path forward be made clear? I want to do something else with my life. I'm working with the 12th pair of 12. My dad doesn't think I can handle anymore. Everything's going to my older brother anyway. Is there anything else I could do? I want my life to count for something. I don't know if he prayed like that, but I know if I was in his shoes, I probably would start praying like that. And it's in that middle of that moment that Elijah comes into the story and he's plowing, Elisha's plowing with the oxen and Elijah throws his cloak over his shoulders, which is a symbolic way of saying, I choose you, would you come be a part of what I'm doing? And immediately, immediately, Elisha responds. And he runs after Elijah and says, hey, wait a minute, let me go say goodbye to my family and then I will come and I will follow you. Elijah responds, he says, just make sure that you know the significance of what I've done to you. Then the story takes an interesting turn. Elisha goes back to the oxen that he left standing in the field and he slaughters them. And he grills them up and he has a barbecue. I don't know if you saw the size of those animals. We're not talking about something small. We're talking about something significant. And he slaughters the animals. And not only that, he takes the plow that they've been working and he destroys it and he builds a bonfire. And then he cooks these animals. And then he hands out the flesh to all the neighbors in the region. The cooked flesh. There's some great effort and intensity that has to go into doing what he just did. Why did he go to that degree of difficulty? Well, I think, I think it's around this. Sometimes when there's an invitation before us, what it requires is 100% of who we are and not 95% of who we are. See, Elisha put himself in the position where he was like, okay, if this isn't from God, if this isn't from God, I have nothing to go back to. My old way of life, my old way of thinking, my old way of living is completely, utterly destroyed. If I circle back and try to come back home to the farm, ain't no way my dad's going to say, okay, I'll now let you work with the 11th pair of oxen. You just killed the 12th pair. It wasn't even his. <laughs> Isn't that like us sometimes? God asks us to do something, to follow him into something. And instead of being wholeheartedly embracing that idea, we hang on to just a little piece of what we used to have. Just for the sake of security. Or curiosity. It's like being in a dating relationship with somebody new and you're still talking to your ex just in case things don't work out. 
like leaving one job, but not wholeheartedly saying, well, I'll work casual with you, I'll go full-time with them, but just in case it doesn't work out, I'd like the opportunity to come back and have my old job. That's not going to happen. You walk into your boss's office and you say, hey, I'm quitting today, but I'd like to stay on the payroll. That's not happening. So then why is it when it comes to our spiritual lives, that's what we do with Jesus all the time? He invites us into something, and we're like, that sounds like a great idea. However, can I bring a piece of this with me? Because I'm really familiar with it. Sometimes it's the pain that we've experienced. We bring that with us, and we tend it, and we nurture it. Sometimes it's our unbelief. We bring that with us. We bring that with us, and we say, well, it's okay if I really don't believe in what you're doing. We bring it with us, and we're like, I'll just hang on to it. A life divided does not speak what you intend it to. A life divided speaks chaos, not certainty. A life divided speaks fear, not faith. I think deep down Elisha knew this, and he knew the only way forward was completely to eradicate his past. And so he did something that maybe you and I would choose to do, maybe we wouldn't. But he put in some major effort to leave behind his past. To slaughter animals that weighed several hundred pounds. We're not talking about it took him 10 seconds. He had to put in some work. So I understand and I recognize when we have to put to death some of the old parts of us, it's going to take work. It's going to take some work and some effort and some intentionality. But on the other side of our obedience, that could just be our best version of life available on the planet. But we won't know if we don't go. We won't know if we don't go. So let's fast forward to 2020, the season that we're in right now. What is it that God is asking of you, asking of me? Am I willing to kill my oxen, have a barbecue, celebrate with everybody around me and follow Jesus? Or do I want to hang on to one of them, hoping that if anything doesn't work out like I think it should, I've got something to go back to. If you want your life to count for something, you have got to be all in. You have to be. There's no other way to live according to God's design and economy. You've got to be all in or all out. That's it. Those are your options. All in or all out. Elisha didn't have to go kill the oxen, but he chose to. He could have returned to his former way of life, kept farming, probably had a decent existence, or he could have been a part of what God wanted him to be a part of. And we're going to uncover over the next several weeks what this could look like for you and I, but it starts with a decision, and that decision is, are we in or are we out? And it's not a decision I can make for you or anybody else can make for you. It is a decision that you need to make on a daily, moment-by-moment 
basis. Am I going to trust what God is doing right now, or am I going to trust in something else? Am I going to trust that when God says he will never leave me nor forsake me, am I going to rest in that, or am I going to trust something else? Am I going to trust when God says that perfect love, his perfect love casts out fear? Am I going to trust that or am I going to trust something else? Bears, bees, bald guys, barbecues, a life worth living begins with choosing to trust that God knows what is best all of the time. Not some of the time, all of it. No matter what the chaos is that we find ourselves in, he knows what is best. So what is it that God is asking of you? Maybe you're thinking, Jason, God hasn't spoken to me in years. Well, I'll ask you this. What's the last thing he said to you? What was your response to that thing? Was it no? Try saying yes, see what happens. Have a barbecue. Get rid of that stuff that is holding you back so that you can embrace what God has for you today. We're going to go to a time of prayer, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to visualize in your mind whatever it is that might be re- feel restrictive to you in the moment. Maybe it's your plans for your future. Maybe it's your plans for just the rest of this day. Maybe it's your past, something you've experienced you've never been able to get over. I don't know what it is, but God does and you do. So I'm going to ask you to visualize that, and then I'm going to pray for you in that moment. So would you join me in a time of prayer? Father, I'm so grateful that you invite us into the greatest version of life available to humankind on the planet. And all that's required of us is our willingness to say yes to you. And I recognize, Father, and I confess that sometimes it's super hard for me to say yes. Would it involve something that I care about or something that I think might be best that you're asking me to give up? I sometimes don't want to. And it's a struggle and it's frustrating. But I also know that when I get to that point where I'm willing to give that to you, you take it, you break it, you bless it, you multiply it the way you see fit. And so, Father, for today, for those of us that are here and we're listening and we're struggling with something, some pain, some, some unresolved anger, frustration, unresolved forgiveness, issues that we've got with somebody else that we just don't want to let go of, I pray that you would give us the courage right now in this moment to say no more of that. I'm going to kill the oxen. I'm going to destroy the plow. And instead, I'm going to follow what you have for me. And maybe some of us are listening to this and we're like, man, I don't even get this whole Jesus thing. I pray that you'd give them the courage to take their unbelief straight to you and have you do something amazing with that. 
Father, I hope, I pray, and I trust that you are faithful to complete the work you've started in each one of us. Whether we're close to you or far from you, you're intentionally and relentlessly pursuing us. Father, help us to be a group of people that have lives that are worth living, that have lives that influence those around us in God-honoring, kingdom-minded ways. Fill us with hope and life and love and the courage that we need to say yes to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.